Welcome to Smart Talk. I'm Scott Lamar. Pennsylvania is one of the nation's leaders in the life sciences industries. It's a $40 billion industry that employs more than 79,000 people who earn an average of more than $90,000 a year. When it comes to life sciences, many will automatically think of Pittsburgh and Philadelphia and those cities, universities, and medical facilities. But several central Pennsylvania cities are ranked nationally in certain areas as well. We're going to talk all things biotech today. Joining us on the program is Fritz Bittenbender, Executive Vice President, Public Affairs at Biotechnology Industry Organization, or BIO. Mr. Bittenbender, welcome to the program. Scott, thanks for having us this morning. Also joining us is Sherry Collins, Deputy Secretary of the Office of Technology and Innovation with the Pennsylvania Department of Community and Economic Development. Deputy uh, Secretary Collins, thank you very much for joining us today, too. Thank you, Scott. There's a lot you'll probably hear today that you didn't know about Pennsylvania and biotech. If you have a question or a comment, give us a call. This is a rebroadcast of Smart Talk. We're not taking calls this hour, but we welcome your thoughts at WITF.org. All right. I kind of want to define some terms right up front because there are a lot of moving parts when we're talking about life sciences, biotechnology. What are we talking about, uh, Mr. Bittenbender, when we talk about life sciences and biotech? Sure. I think life sciences has become the common definition for anything in the healthcare industry where you're using you know, science to try to heal the human condition. So it becomes a very broad term, and it can be pharmaceuticals, it can be biotech, it can be medical device, um, it can be diagnostic tests, sort of all fold into this one umbrella that we call the life sciences. See, that was one of the things I wanted to point out. Is there a difference between life sciences and biotech? What should I refer to it as during the program? Sure. I, mean, I, think, I think in general when we talk about what's happening in Pennsylvania, we talk about life sciences, and biotechnology would be a subset of that. Biotechnology is really the use of a, a living organism or um, a living organism as delivery technology to deliver medicine to the human body. So it's very different than you might say um, a small molecule like an aspirin or an antibiotic you take. Those are chemical compounds that are mixed together. Um, biotechnology products are actually you know, injecting you know, a living cell into the human body to help heal the human body. So that's, that's sort of the fundamental difference. So biotechnology itself generally deals with that, that living um, cell or living organism um, and, and is a subset of the broader life science industry. So so just to define a little bit more, the life sciences, what are we talking about? Um, you're talking about medical device companies. Um, you're talking about diagnostic companies, uh, big pharmaceutical companies, even now digital healthcare, um, which is really a burgeoning industry, and in how um, we interact with health IT in the in the in the scientific and healthcare uh, world is is part of that whole big life science industry. That Pennsylvania is very blessed to be a global leader in that when you put it all together. Mm. What don't people know about the life sciences? I think one of the things that Pennsylvanians don't really understand is that Pennsylvania is a global leader in the life sciences. When you look at a lot of the things that are created in terms of new products that are coming to, to, to the market for patients, a lot of them stem from some research that's happening in Pennsylvania. And the fact of the matter is it happens all over the state. As you started out saying, it's not just um, Philadelphia and Pittsburgh. It's here in central Pennsylvania as well. There's tremendous research going on at the Hershey Medical School, the Hershey Center for Applied Research, um, Penn State University. Um, there's lots of great things that are happening in the life sciences and jobs that are created in life sciences um, all across the Commonwealth. I mentioned in the introduction about the, there being a lot of moving parts, mm -hmm. investment, economy, science, yep. uh, medical. Uh, Secretary Collins, let me turn to you for uh, just a moment. Uh, 
how big of an industry, and I almost hate to call it an industry, I should say these industries, how big is this in Pennsylvania? Well, it's actually, it's huge. And Pennsylvania is home to more than 2,300 establishments performing groundbreaking life science research, engineering medical devices, and developing pharmaceuticals that save lives, not only here in the Commonwealth, but across the nation. Um, it's a huge industry. I think industry is a perfect word to use for that. So Scott. one word that encompasses it all. Life sciences. Life sciences industry sector. Okay. And Scott, the interesting thing about um, the life sciences, and we talked about sort of the continuum of life sciences, and what sets, sets Pennsylvania apart from almost any other state in the country is in order to be very successful, you have to have early stage basic research that's happening at universities because that's sort of the, that's what I call the seed for everything that we do in the industry. And then you need to have these emerging companies that come out of those universities or spin out around the universities that help uh, to commercialize that. And we talk about from bench to bedside. Those companies really take this, this concept the university has developed and really figure out how to put it in human beings and if it can be successful. And then generally you have, you know, mid-sized companies that grow up around that and hopefully are working with the FDA on a phase two or phase three product. And then you have really global pharmaceutical companies um, which really commercialize products around the world. And very few places in the world, let alone in the United States, have that entire continuum of what I would say life sciences, which is strong basic research, emerging companies, mid-sized biotech and global pharmaceutical. And one of the things that sets Pennsylvania apart is it has that entire continuum. And other than Boston and uh, San Francisco and San Diego and a little bit in North Carolina, there are very few places in, in the country that have the capacity that we have and have that whole continuum in life sciences. But what really stuck out to me there is when you're talking about the, the beginnings of this, uh, the genesis, uh, there's universities that we've heard often that uh, Pennsylvania has so many strong uh, universities, colleges, research facilities, that that is one of the drivers of this, but that continuum d is there as well. Oh, absolutely. And the university is really, um, you know, are an anchor. They get a lot of early stage funding from the federal government for NIH funding. I think the University of Pennsylvania is in the top two. Uh, university of Pittsburgh is in the top five nationally. Um, Penn State's right up there in terms of the research uh, dollars they get. So um, Pennsylvania is really blessed to have a research capacity that, that has rivaled a few places in the country. Secretary Collins, what role does the state have in this? Well, the state's role, quite honestly, is to provide support, capital support, to organizations such as the Pennsylvania Life Science Greenhouses or the four regional Ben Franklin Technology Partners. And it is those partners and those stakeholders in which we invest our dollars in that then work with the companies directly. So they're supporting the early innovation that's occurring across the Commonwealth. And again, not just in Philadelphia or Pittsburgh, but here in central Pennsylvania. And so I know that uh, one of our, our great partners, Mel Billingsley, with the Central Pennsylvania Life Science Greenhouse, um, works very closely along with his team in supporting these companies, the companies that Fritz mentioned down at the Hershey Center for Applied Research. And I think a lot of times, Scott, what happens is individuals do not understand the state's role because what they see are these organizations and their logos and they know who they're working with. But what they what they fail to recognize, quite honestly, is that it's the state's funds behind those organizations that are making those capital-intensive investments in the companies. And that's no fault of anybody's. I think from a state's perspective, we need to do a better job at marketing um, our role relative to that. And uh, that is certainly something at the department that um, we're increasing 
our outreach and our uh, marketing efforts to demonstrate the ro- the Commonwealth's role specifically and, in and that. One of the interesting things in that, Scott, is uh, in my job, uh, it, I get to travel all over the country. And then one of the top things I'm asked when I go to a state, and I think I've been to 35 to 40 states now, is, you know, how can we build a life science cluster? Who do we need to look toward um, as, as a great example of doing this successfully? And I always say, despite the fact I'm from Pennsylvania, I'm a hometown boy, I always say Pennsylvania because um, when you look at the programs that have been created, starting with the Ben Franklins, I guess almost 35 years ago, to the greenhouses more than a decade ago, um, to the innovation um, and opportunity uh, zones that have been created, Pennsylvania's programs for um, how to grow and create life sciences are, are second to none in the country. And we do a state best practice report every two years. And Pennsylvania is always ranked, you know, one of the top states for helping to incentivize. And that's because we've had a selection of governors over the past, um, you know, 20 years have really recognized how the state can play a positive role in helping to grow life science companies. And they've continued to fund the important programs that we have there to do that. How is this different, though? I mean, is it different? We often hear when there is a large manufacturer that's looking to locate in a state. And Pennsylvania's competing with other states to try to bring that uh, facility to the state, you know, the kind of tax incentives or the incentives that uh, we offer to them. Is this different in any way? Are we competing with other states for this industry? Uh, you know, how do we compare? Sure, we absolutely do compete. And one of one of the, the focus areas, and we talked about that earlier in the show, is the institutions of higher ed that we have. And a lot of times, companies will look not only at an incentive program, it's not always about the dollar that they can actually get from the Commonwealth, but it's also about the workforce. And we're dedicated here in Pennsylvania to creating this workforce, this strong workforce um, coming out of our colleges and universities. When you look at entities like Penn and Drexel and Temple, University of Pitt and Carnegie Mellon, we've got some of the best research universities in the Commonwealth or in the nation. And so a lot of times that is a determining factor as to why a company would would either look to expand its current footprint or even companies coming into the state. So it's more than just the tax incentive. And one of the things we see is, uh, you know, we're about to host our huge international convention yes, in Philadelphia this summer. Um, but the Worldwide, people coming from around the world. Worldwide, right? people coming from all over the world. About 15,000 people will be uh, descending upon Philadelphia June 15th through the 18th. But one of the interesting things is we'll have over 37, I think 35, 37 states that actually have state pavilions at in our exhibit hall because pretty much every state in the country wants to capitalize on the life science industry because it's it's good paying jobs, um, it's intellectual capital that's brought in the state. It has the highest multiplier of any industry out there. We create you know over five jobs for every one job that's that's directly created by our industry. So this is something every state is focused on how so, to get these jobs. I'm curious about mm-hmm. that. How do you create five jobs for every job created? Because there's just so much that happens in our industry, um, and there's a lot of spending that happens downstream. So whether it's packaging, whether it's um, uh, construction, there's a there's a huge amount of building that happens with our industry. There's lab space that gets changed up. There's so pretty much every industry downstream, major industries in Pennsylvania benefit from it. So shot glasses here, we use a lot of glass works in our industry. There's a lot of cleaning services that are used in our industry. There are uniforms and gowning services that are used in our industry. There are uh, there's marketing um, and product development firms that are used in our industry. So when you look at sort of our spend um, in terms of 
uh, our industry, it, it, it's enormous, and a lot of the dollars are spent right back in the communities where our companies are housed. Secretary Collins, why don't people know this? You, you said earlier that maybe the state needs to do a better job of marketing, but I'll bet, and I, and I ask you, but I was going to say I'll, I'll bet if I went out in the street and asked uh, 100 people about this, that I probably couldn't get good answers, accurate answers from you know, 10, 15 of them, right. something like that. Uh, you know, why is that? I, I think it's just just a fact of life. Unfortunately, it's that thing that you don't know you don't know, right? So mm-hmm. it's it's just one of those areas. If you're not focused on this area, you may not know this. But sitting where I sit in the Commonwealth, I get to see great opportunities that happen across the Commonwealth every day, whether it's in life sciences or advanced manufacturing or information technology. But if people don't know that it's out there, they're really not aware of it. And so when we look around the Commonwealth and you look at the companies that have been created coming out of our colleges and universities, company like Saladex Biomedical in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania, or Apogee that's located right down there in Hershey, most people just don't know, unfortunately, unless they're listening to Smart Talk this morning and well, then they'll, I hope they'll so. hear it. I hope so. And, uh, you know, I think that probably what gets a lot of people's attention, if you are a college student, if you're looking for a career, is uh, that ninety to $97,000 a year average salary. I mean, who are the people who are getting into this industry? Well, I think what you're seeing, again, is a lot of these students that are coming out of our our colleges and universities. They are the best and the brightest. And we're also a great attractant for international students. And oftentimes they'll come and then they don't leave. They want to stay here. And the great thing about our industry is you don't have to be a scientist to be in our industry. You know, we are businesses like any other businesses. So we need accountants. We need uh, we need marketing and communications people. We need um, business uh, development people. We need uh, um, product development people. So that, that's part of the great thing about our industry is everyone thinks, oh, I have to shy away from the life sciences because I don't have a scientific background. That's not the case at all. We we hire many many people without scientific background. But it would help. Our, but it helps. I mean, the yeah, STEM yeah. the STEM uh, yes, yes. Uh, subjects out there. Although my biology teacher would laugh uh, from high school would laugh that I'm actually in the biotech industry. <laughs> So I was not a scientist, but you can be successful not be a scientist. You know, one of the the issues that Pennsylvania has dealt with for the past decade, maybe even longer than that, uh, it's been referred to as brain drain, that a lot of our young students will go to many of our best universities and then leave the state, that they have this idea that uh, they must leave Pennsylvania, go to Atlanta, Austin, um, Carolinas, uh, to to be able to make a good living. has this industry kept young people in Pennsylvania? Well, I, I think that's an interesting question. And quite honestly, in the last 10 years that I've been at DCD, that's been a topic of discussion. It's the brain drain. And I think that we do see a lot of students that leave upon graduation. And quite honestly, I don't know that there's anything that we could offer to them that San Diego offers. I mean, let's face it, Pennsylvania doesn't have the beach that San Diego does or the environment. We have snow, and it's a fact of life here. But what we do know is that oftentimes those students will leave, but they come back. They always come back to Pennsylvania. And I know a number of years ago we did a welcome home program affiliated with Bio International in 2005, if I remember correctly. And the amount of individuals that came back for that event was astonishing, astounding rather. Um, it's really, it, it's quite impressive to see 
uh, the number of folks that want to return. You have alumni from these colleges and universities that want to come back. But I also think that um, the state has, has created a number of programs, such as the Keystone Innovation Zone program, which at its heart was designed to support the entrepreneurial activities in and around our colleges and universities so that when the students who were actually developing an idea and putting together their business plan while they were in their dorm room when they graduated stayed here. And we have a number of examples like that. So while I think that the brain drain is a serious issue, I oftentimes question whether it's as big of an issue as what we think that it is. And, and I think the other component of that is we also have a brain gain. If you spend any time around our, our biotech companies, I spent seven years in a biotech company, the amount of people that that company, it was in Chester County, Pennsylvania, attracted from around the world to come work there. And many of those people had never been to Pennsylvania before. But after settling here and working at the company, they never leave because they realize the tremendous quality of life we have in Pennsylvania, the natural resources, the parks, the um, uh, the um, the cultural um, attractions that we have. And it's just a great quality of life in the state. And we find we're actually gaining uh, you know, intellectual power from all over the world because of this industry. Yeah, well, it is hard to compete with the San Diego, uh, with you know, the beaches and the southern climates and, and all that. But what about money? Um, I, I tell this story often. I remember talking to uh, a Penn State demographer who he said every year he would ask uh, his classes, uh, where do you think you have to go to make the most money to uh, have the best career? And they always pointed to those places I mentioned, Austin, Atlanta, San Diego, uh, you know, and you ask them why, do you know this? Well, no, that's that's what we've heard. Mm -hmm. So part of it is reputation, but do these jobs, does this industry in Pennsylvania pay on a scale better, worse than uh, what they would get in those kind of markets? Oh, absolutely. I think, I think the pay scale is very commensurate. I mean, sometimes if you're going to San Francisco, the housing market, right. you know, is five times more expensive to buy a house Maybe in that's San a Francisco. bad example. But yeah, yeah, but yeah, yeah. But um, so, I mean, there's pay is a little bit higher in right. San Francisco because of the market they're living in. But in terms of the fact that you have an average salary of you know, $97,000 per life science job in Pennsylvania, I think that's, you know, some of the best pay scale you can see in any industry anywhere in the country. So I think we're very competitive. And I think we need to do a better job getting the message out that there's a competitive industry and you're going to make a great family sustaining you know, wage if you're working in it here in Pennsylvania. You're listening to Smart Talk on WITF, your home for NPR News and all things regional. I'm Scott Lamar. We're discussing the life science industry in Pennsylvania. Our guest, Fritz Bittenbender, who is the Executive Vice President, Public Affairs at Biotechnology Industry Organization, or BIO, and Sherry Collins, Deputy Secretary of the Office of Technology and Innovation with the Pennsylvania Department of Community and Economic Development. We welcome your questions and comments. Give us a call, 1-800- This is a rebroadcast of Smart Talk. We're not taking calls this hour, but we welcome your thoughts at WITF.org. WITF.org or on WITF.org. YTF's Facebook page. Again, that phone number is 1-800-729-7532. Let's take a call from Tom in York. Tom, you're on the air. Hi, Scott. Hi. Wanted to ask our, our speakers about the long-term benefits, like a strategic benefits of STEM education as they lead in there. A couple of examples, maybe Harrisburg University for the Sciences. I was very impressed that about half of their students are from Philadelphia. Lots of women, uh, lots of minorities, the Vinci Center in Allentown, things like that. Maybe they can talk about that. Okay. Thank you very much for your call. What about educational background? 
Okay, Fritz, I'll take it. Yeah, you guys are on radio, so you have to kind of decide who does this. You saw that look, right? (laughs) So obviously education is very important, and we thank the caller for the question. And I I think the um, references that he made certainly to Harrisburg University of the Sciences is, is a jewel right here in the Commonwealth in Harrisburg. Um, that's an amazing resource that our young folks have. Uh, in addition to not only teaching those of your traditional college student, there's the non-traditional college student that can go there as well for, for programs. Um, certainly education is extremely important in this industry sector, as it is in any industry sector uh, nowadays. Um, it's it's you know, it's it's just one of those things that you need to have that college education and that training that only our schools can provide. And from our industry perspective, I think you um, have hit on probably one of the most important topics that we need to be discussing across America is STEM education. I mean, this century has been dubbed the bio century um, because of all the fundamental um, discoveries that are happening in, in, in the life sciences right now. And America has to be able to compete globally um, if we're going to win the war for jobs in the biocentury. And part of that is making sure we are educating our children in science and math and that we have a workforce that is ready to compete um, in the next uh, 10, 20, and 30 years. And frankly, um, things that are happening at Harrisburg University, um, the universities uh, all like them, but, um, um, community colleges um, all around the state. Um, there's a great community college network of STEM education. That's really, really important that um, we continue to focus on STEM education, not just in the in the graduate school programs, but in college and, and particularly in the K through 12. Um, one of the things we've learned that you lose kids in science, you know, in the fourth, fifth, and sixth grade if you don't capture their imagination and their interest young enough, they never come back to it. So it's really, really important. Um, that uh, that as a country, we, we figure out how to make sure um, we're creating that interest. Well, how do you do that? I mean, when you're talking about are people on your level actually thinking about absolutely. third, fourth, and fifth graders? Every day. Every day, absolutely. And, what, what and do we, you, how do we do if that? If you talk to a lot of the CEOs in our companies, you know, obviously they're, they're worried about keeping their company going and being successful, but they're worried about the future of our industry, and that starts with kids in grade school and science. And that's why you see a lot of programs being created to try and create interest in science. Um, you know, there's a lot of more hands-on learning. There's a lot of bringing, um, you know, um, adults that aren't teachers into the classroom to try and have kids understand. Um, there's a lot of more experience-based learning now in science, so it's not just book learning. So, um, you know, students can really get an understanding of what science is all about and how it can be fun. You know, I think there's some really creative curriculum that's out there right now around STEM, but we have to continue to invest in it and promote it. I'm jumping around on you here, but, uh, you know, one of the things that strikes me as we're talking about this, these don't seem like jobs that are going overseas. I mean, obviously, there are life sciences in other countries sure. as well, but they probably don't, most countries probably don't have the kind of uh, logistics, the kind of infrastructure that we have with the universities and the whole uh, you know, whole thing that you had described earlier. So this seems like a long-term investment, long-term thing that, that we can count on as Americans. Yeah, you have to keep it, we have to keep investing on it as Americans. I mean, one of the things that um, definitely happens in our country is uh, Americans subsidize health care for the rest of the world and subsidize innovation for the rest of the world. And because of that right now, you see more patents being created in life sciences than any place else in the world by, you know, an exponential factor. But um, part of that's because we invest in the industry. Um, our government policies are fairly good towards the industry. 
Um, but it's very important we keep that going because there are other countries now um, that are making massive investments in life sciences. You look at some of the things that are happening in Korea and Malaysia, and they're making billions and billions of dollar investments, particularly in some of the latest technologies like um, you know, cell therapy technologies and stem cells and um, you know, some of the places where science is going into the future. Um, they're, they're making a future bet, so we have to keep competing. But when you use the word investment, let's not kid ourselves. We're talking about taxpayer money for our, in, in a lot of cases. And some sometimes we're talking about taxpayer money. Um, in other cases, we're talking about um, the right policies to make sure that when a when a when a product is brought to market, it is reimbursed. We're talking about an FDA process where we want to make sure the FDA right now is the premier uh, regulatory body um, for um, the development of products in the entire world. We want to make sure that you know it continues to be such. So I mean, there's there's a lot that goes into our industry um, that that people really don't see or understand, and government has a huge impact on it. My, I guess my point is, and both of you obviously uh, share, you still work in government, and you've worked in uh, government uh, that every dollar today counts, every cent Absolutely. cent counts, and uh, you know when you're looking at a how that that money is going to be spent, there are obviously different factions pulling mm-hmm. at one another saying, well, we can't do it here. We, you know, some may look at this and say, we can't afford that investment. Okay, maybe investment is not the word they mm-hmm. would use, but mm-hmm. we can't afford that because we have to take care of the essentials. Mm-hmm. How do you respond when people say that? Well, I think my response to that is, is it's not always just state taxpayer dollars that are going into these opportunities. When we look at our programs in particular, when I, I think about the life science greenhouses, if I remember correctly, for every dollar we provide to those greenhouses for investment or or um, to work with a company, they're actually leveraging outside sources. So private capital, $40, $40 to every dollar that we provide. I mean, that's pretty impressive. Okay, just so I'm clear on that, we're getting $40 back for every dollar the state's putting out. For every dollar we put in, they're leveraging another $40 from from private sources of capital. So that means if there's an investor in another country or an investor in another state, they're putting that $40 into the $1 that we've provided. So it's a leverage factor. A lot of our, oh, I'm sorry, Fritz, a lot of our programs require match. So again, if for every dollar we give, Private investment dollars have to come in. So we always look for those private-public partnership opportunities in order to leverage our state tax dollars. Mm-hmm. Let's take another phone call from Judy in New Cumberland. Judy, you're on the air. Hello, Judy. Hello. Yes. Hi. Um, I, I, I'm a retired technology and engineering uh, teacher from uh, a local school district, and I taught at the high school level. And one of the things that I never hear when people refer to STEM education is that those two letters in the middle, the T and the E, I never heard a kid say, you know, I want to be a science or I want to be a math, but they want to do something with them. And, you know, the science part is to get good biotechnologists, you need to have output. You need to teach kids that they're going to be able to use the science and math to create something with that. Hey, Judy, Judy, I hate to cut you off, but we have a really bad connection. I think we got the gist of what you're saying, though. Response to that? Yeah, I think she's absolutely right. I mean, we talked about it a little bit earlier, but really uh, in having children embrace science and math. I mean, I have a, a 13-year-old and a 10-year-old at home right now, and, you know, 
when we're doing their homework conversations, um, sometimes those are not their favorite topics. And you know, we, we all as parents have to figure out how to make them fun and interesting. But most importantly, how do they apply to our everyday lives? And what are the interesting things that are happening in science? So with my son, uh, you know, we just did a whole thing on skateboard wheels. He's really into skateboarding. And um, we did a whole thing on how science is changing skateboard wheels and friction involved. And so I think experiential learning is very important so kids can understand they don't have to be afraid of science. It's something they can embrace and enjoy. And I think to Judy's point, we have to talk about those science and math in a positive way with our children if we're going to be really successful in, in getting them to continue to um, take those classes as they get older. How often when you hear someone talk about math, do you hear them say, oh, uh, oh. <laughs> Every night, every yeah. night. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Who benefits most from this? I mean, uh, consumers, uh, innovators, Investors. I think it's everybody. Yeah. I, quite honestly, I think that this industry touch this industry sector in particular touches everyone. Um, whether it's the the drug that you take for heart disease or the drug that I take for thyroid disease or some of these other innovations that are occurring across the country, maybe it's a medical device that's helping to save somebody's life. I mean, everybody benefits from it at some point or another. Mm -hmm. And. Sometimes I think that gets lost in the conversation because we, I mean, for a half hour now, we've been talking a lot about uh, <clears throat> economics, uh, money, science, education. But the bottom line is if these products that are being created, uh, this innovation that is being done is not utilized and utilized well, well, it doesn't make any money. And, you know, it's not successful. Mm -hmm. So in the long run, it does take the customer to to make it work, right? Absolutely. And I think, um, you know, having worked in a company for a long time, the, the mantra in our company is this is all about the patient. I mean, we're all in this because we want to invent something that helps humankind. And really, the, the output of what, everything we focused on was how do we make people's lives better through the innovation that we're creating. And if you go to, into any of our companies, um, that's really what um, it's all about. And, and really, our scientists and the people who are doing um, this innovative research are, are superheroes that uh, go unrecognized because um, it, we just have uh, an amazing intellectual capacity in this country that's focused on how do we improve human condition around the world. And these people go to work every day, and sometimes it'll take them 10 or 12 years of working on a project to even come up with a product. There are people at our company that worked for um, 10 years and never came up with a product. Um, but but if we didn't have people that are dedicated and doing that and smart and bright and educated, and but with a patient focus in mind, we'd never invent anything. And I think people have to remember that the end of this is really about, you know, how do we improve people's lives through, um, through technology? Fritz, you know that there are cynics out there. Absolutely. And uh, when they heard you say, well, you know, our number one priority mm -hmm. was to make life better, mm -hmm. there will be people out there thinking, well, you probably could make a good living out of this, Absolutely. too. You could make, you could make some money. In fact, Big Pharma mm -hmm. uh, has often been portrayed as a villain, mm -hmm. uh, that you know, drug prices they're too high. Mm -hmm. That uh, you know that we hold back. The marketing budgets are, 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 are too big. How do you respond to all those things? Um, you know, I, I respond to it with, um, you know, uh, the fact of the matter is our industry is not an easy industry. And you know, we talk about the incredible advances we've made, but for every one drug that ever makes it on the market, there are ten thousand that don't. 
that, that, that we've spent money on to develop. And our industry is a very, very challenging industry. Um, the other interesting thing is we all talk, I and mean, we hear about the blockbusters in our industry and the drugs are making a lot of money because those are the ones you see on TV. Um, but the fact of the matter is only 20% of drugs that ever makes the market ever recoup their initial investment costs. There are a lot of, there are a lot of products that um, just, you know, they're good products for, uh, for people, but they uh, don't have a long patent life. They don't um, you have huge, you know, sales because they're for a very niche market for patients. So the fact of the matter is our industry um, grows, but it grows um, because, you know, of, of a couple products that have become very successful. And those are the ones we see all the time. But what people don't realize is everything that goes into getting that product to the market and the fact that many, many other products that come to market never even recoup the cost. So, I mean, I hear what people say about, about drug prices, but they don't really understand completely our industry and what goes into our industry and, frankly, all the failures that we have to to uh, um, to take into account when we're pricing one product. And in many ways, one product that's successful has to pay for all those failures. And it's not its not an excuse, it's just how our business model is built right now. All right, well then, I'm sure a question that you're asked often, mm -hmm. or uh, at least people in your industry mm -hmm. are, are asked often is, why can one drug cost so much less in Canada, for example, mm -hmm. than in the United States? Well, again, I think um, one of the interesting things about America is we subsidize innovation for the rest of the world. So Canada has um, price controls that are built into um, their their pricing. We have a free market economy in the United States um, that, that doesn't have those price controls built in. Um, if we start price controlling products in, in the United States, you're not going to see the innovation that's happened here. The reason that America innovates is because America invests in innovation and invests in that free market. Um, we have very strong patents because our industry is based on um, the fact that uh, the value of any of our companies is only as good as the patents that our products are based on. You know, 25, 30 years ago, um, you know, Hatch-Waxman was created in Washington, which created the generics industry. One of the best things that has ever happened, and I'm from a branded perspective, but one of the best things that has ever happened for America, because after a certain number of years, a generic can come to the marketplace, price um, decreases dramatically on those products, and now we're at the point in America where 90% of the scripts that are filled in America are now filled with generic uh, medications for cheaper. So we have built-in policies that try and balance that out, that try to allow our companies to recoup our investment over a period of time and then allow that technology to be transferred to another company who can bring a generic to market and, and bring lower prices. And the interesting thing is, one more thing, Scott, is that over the decades, uh, the, the pharmaceutical spend in the United States has stayed between 10 and 13 percent. It's been constant for the last 50 or 60 years. So, you know, we talk about the price of drugs and innovation, but, you know, over the entire health care budget, I think one of the things people never really realize is we are a small percentage of the entire health care spend in America. And that percentage hasn't changed in decades. And I'm not going to make a big yep. part of the conversation because yep. that's, you know, we're talking mostly about the industry. But uh, one of the criticisms you hear most often is about that uh, marketing budget. You know, yep. earlier mm -hmm. we were talking about not really doing a good job of telling yep. people, yep. getting the message out there about the bioscience, mm -hmm. uh, the life sciences industries. But you turn on the network news every night mm -hmm. and you have five, six, seven um, commercials for the latest mm -hmm. drug. Does that add to the cost? How much does that add to the cost? You know, it's interesting. There's a lot of conversation about that. We spend much more 
on our research and development than we do on marketing. You know, marketing is a much smaller percentage of the budget, um, but it is an important thing that some of our companies do. I mean, no one complains that Apple has so many ads on, or Frito-Lay has ads on, or Coca-Cola has ads on, or um, Chrysler has ads on. So, I mean- Yeah, but that's it, price scale when you look at it, <laughs> yeah, though. Yeah, absolutely. But they spend a lot more on their marketing than, than we do as an industry on our marketing. And, and really, it's- um, you know, some of those ads are really good for consumers because they're ads that come out and they, they teach people about health conditions. They make them more aware when they're going to doctor of symptoms they may have. So, you know, I think there, there's, um, you know, I can see the, the perception of some of the ads being just, just pushing a medical product. But at other times, I know people who have seen an ad and um, they've been able to go to their doctor and say, hey, can you talk to me about um, X, Y, or Z? And it's been a, been a positive conversation. So I think the ads do cut both ways. But, but again, it, it's marketing and it's, it's part of what we do here in America. You're listening to Smart Talk on WITF, your home for NPR News and all things regional. I'm Scott Lamar. We're talking about the life science industries in Pennsylvania. Our guest today, Fritz Bittenbender, Executive Vice President of Public Affairs at Biotechnology Industry Organization, or BIO, and Sherry Collins, Deputy Secretary of the Office of Technology and Innovation with the Pennsylvania Department of Community and Economic Development. We welcome your questions and comments. Give us a call. one This is a rebroadcast of Smart Talk. We're not taking calls this hour, but we welcome your thoughts at WITF.org. 1-800-729-7532. You know, Fritz, you said something a little while ago that you don't often hear in a conversation, that we are looking for inventions. Mm -hmm. Now, we've used the word innovation several times. Uh, And Secretary Collins, you can jump in on this as well when we're talking about Pennsylvania. But I looked down at the list when I was provided with, uh, you know, some statistics on the background here, that uh, Pennsylvania was fifth in the country in uh, related patents. Now, it's not an easy thing to get a patent. Talk about this. I mean, that again, that kind of s- s- stuck out to me when you use the word inventions, that mm-hmm. we're always looking to, for inventions. Most people aren't thinking that way. Absolutely not. I think, you know, one of the great things about our industry is uh, we we uh, create a tremendous amount of intellectual property. We are constantly inventing things. And, you know, again, I'll bring up the Apple example. People think of their iPhone as an invention, but every medicine that's developed has many inventions that are part of it in order to really ever get it to the marketplace. So the great thing, in particular about Central Pennsylvania, and Sherry can talk about this, we have companies in Central Pennsylvania, um, like Immunomic Therapies, that just did a big deal with Astellas, and they're working on a novel vaccine platform. And, you know, if they're successful, that's going to have a huge impact in global health. And we talked about uh, Apogee a little bit um, here from Central Pennsylvania. They're working on um, uh, cancer, uh, hard tumor cancer. Um, and these are things that are, these are inventions and patents that are actually created here in Central Pennsylvania, which um, when and hopefully they're successful, have a huge impact on you know, people around the world. So um, as I said earlier, it's been deemed the biocentury because of the, the changes that are happening. The fact that we've been able to sequence the human genome has created entire new opportunities in science for us that we've never seen before, getting down to the genomic level and even the individual genome and how genes express themselves and turn things on and off in cells. Um, so there's a lot of invention now that's targeted around that, that cellular therapy, um, which you know is going to have a huge impact on diseases which there's no hope for right now. Um, so it's really important that we continue to patent. And a lot of that early stage research, as Sherry said earlier, is happening at, at, at universities and here in Pennsylvania. 
So, Sherry, we have uh, a lot of inventors in the state? We do. Again, I I mentioned the best and the brightest from the the faculties to the the researchers to the students. Um, I'm amazed every time I go around this Commonwealth and participate in an event. And I get a little emotional because I'm really... I'm just so impressed with these kids that we have, especially the the younger students that we have at our our colleges and universities, the ones that are are taking the risk. And even even the older generation worker who says, you know, I'm tired of working for, you know, the particular company and I'm going to start my own endeavor. I'm amazed at our, our entrepreneurial activity that occurs across the Commonwealth and the fact that these people will actually take that initiative on their own because they believe so strongly in, in what they, they have and what they think that they can do. Um, again, the students, it's, it just amazes me. We go out to Pittsburgh to Alpha Lab, uh, which is a, an organization out there, a program that's run by Innovation Works, one of the Ben Franklins. and. These kids that you have the opportunity to meet are just incredible, just amazingly bright individuals. What's been uh, invented here in Pennsylvania? What innovations uh, do we have that have come from uh, from Pennsylvania? Well, I think that there's been a lot, but I, I think one of them was the, the polio vaccine. If I remember correctly, we had the first hospital in the United States of America. Okay, well, that goes back a yeah. ways. But I'm talking about recently uh, as you know, part of uh, life sciences. Um, you know, I, I think it's almost endless when you think about it. I, I will tell you um, just on two particular occasions on, on company visits, there's a fascinating company in Philadelphia called Spark Therapeutics right now that's working on a cure for a certain type of blindness in kids, and it's a cell-based therapy. It's an injection. They're in a phase three trial, and if they're successful, their trials have shown, at least the early stages, that they can cure this type of blindness in children, which is absolutely incredible. Um, immunotherapy, the University of Pennsylvania. Um, one of the one of the, the people that we're uh, recognizing as a superhero is a little girl, Emily Whitehouse, out of Phillipsburg, Pennsylvania. Yes. Um, you might have heard about her. I actually but had her father on the show. Did you really? And, I'm just, and Emily just, was here, yeah. Just tremendous people. And, you know, that was a, a new, that CART therapy technology that developed by Carl June at the University of Pennsylvania. And we're actually using, you know, your own human cells to kill your cancer. Is that is just tremendous application um, through many different types of cancers. And you know, Emily is a tremendous example of a patient, one of the first that went through that. With without that technology, probably wouldn't be with us today. And that's happening here in Pennsylvania. Well, in Emily's case, and we probably don't have time to get into the whole story, but uh, you know, she was literally on her deathbed mm-hmm. and uh, a doctor said well let's try this mm-hmm. and they used a drug that had been approved for uh, juvenile diabetes uh, no no ju- juvenile arthritis and it worked and an interesting delivery mechanism of a, a I think it's a dead HIV uh, virus to deliver that to the targeted cell I mean that's the kind of crazy things we're talking about where scientists are thinking about this and that's a tremendous invention to be able to deliver products to the body using something that we wouldn't think you could use um, and the fact of the matter is it's saving people's lives. Let's take a phone call from Gary in Juniana County. Gary, you're on the air. Hi. Yeah, I worked in research for University of Pennsylvania Medical School back in the 70s and I just wanted to mention about how irregular and how erratic the funding is for NIH and some of these uh, larger grant programs, even for universities, that they have to fight and fight and fight and then almost be ridiculed or vilified because sometimes a congressman will go like, well, what do you want to do that? Look at what they spend all this money on. And they don't even know that there's little teeny bits and, and niches of 
research that goes into something else. So it's like little tiny building blocks. So it may look stupid on the surface, or why would you study that? And then some of these guys get these pet projects where it's got to be funded if it if it promotes this. And you can't always go into something knowing what's going to come out of it. Yeah. So uh, that's all I was going to say about government funding. Gary, yeah. just something to point out uh, to, to follow up on what you're talking about. Very often over the years, we in the media, and I've done it myself, uh, you hear about uh, you know a situation where, uh, I don't know, a lab is studying the uh, reproductive habits of the platypus or something like that, right. and you think, okay, what a waste of money. Why are we doing something so stupid? But then when you look into it a little bit, you find out that there is a scientific reason that that is being done. You just think of fireflies. Somebody studied fireflies, and now we have that Kaolum or whatever. There's all these really cool products that came just from studying a firefly. And it just doesn't make any sense that we'll spend millions and billions of dollars to, you know, to fight in Iraq and whatever. And I understand that's a political thing. But the funding that these guys have to fight for the scraps that fall off the table, and then the private equity has to come in and fund the programs because the government isn't doing it. So if you want cheaper or freer pharmaceuticals or whatever, then it has to come from, you know, taxpayer sources. If, if you want cheap, if you, if you want more expensive, then go ahead and let private, because they're all going to want a huge return on their money. They, they don't get in it for free. Okay. Thank you very much. All right. Thanks Gary, for your call, Gary. Gary, I think you hit on one of the most important topics we have to address federally right now is the declining NIH budget. NIH is really a jewel in America that really provides uh, um, universities across the country with with the dollars they need to um, do basic research that, frankly, the private sector is not going to fund because natural it's, institutes it's, of health it's too way, specul yeah. speculative. I'm right, sure, yes, right. natural, national institutes of health. And that, that budget at NIH has been declining, which means that research projects that were funded over a period of time are not getting funded anymore. It's harder for uh, young researchers, and that's their, their um, initial investment to get those dollars. So, you know, one of our top priorities at BIO is really to see a continued uh, significant growth of the NIH budget. Um, because it, it really is um, part of the significant competitive advantage um, that we have in America uh, is that NIH funding. And to Gary's point, it's the research we're providing to researchers all over the country through that through those dollars. Uh, we Some of our emails, and I can tell that uh, some of our listeners are very much interested in the educational aspect of this. Uh, Lisa says, I'd like to add my daughter, who's finishing sixth grade, has been selected for honor science for next school year. She's far from a scientist, and math is one of her weakest subjects. She excels in language arts, so I was a little surprised and excited for this invitation. I think what she brings to STEM is her strong, strong language skills to explain what is happening and how it happens. She is wonderfully creative and thinks with no box, which is also a great skill that adds to the field. I think we can also encourage our non-math and science kids to use their other skills to explore and innovate. I think we should also encourage the leaders in STEM that it is more than geeky math and science. We need people who can talk about the field in a way that is not over our heads. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, oftentimes it's over my head uh, when we start talking about the science component of it. But I think back to Fritz's point, there's so many different roles in the industry sector for individuals to play that it's not just the science component. So I applaud her and her daughter and congratulate her on this award. I think that's really very cool. Um, it, 
yeah, it, it goes back to the earlier discussion about the need to have individuals who can speak the language may not necessarily be the scientist behind it, but that can explain exactly what is occurring and what's transpiring and why it's important. We have another uh, call here, or excuse me, email from York. It says, we have an excellent biology majors graduating on uh, Saturday from York College of Pennsylvania. What advice do you have for those college students excited about science and wanting a job in the biotechnology industry in Pennsylvania? What things can they do to get noticed and get their foot in the door. Fritz? Well, I have a great answer to that. We have our international convention coming to Philadelphia June 15th to 18th. We have an enormous career fair as part of that convention where uh, on Thursday, I believe it's the 18th, um, you can register and come to f for free. And we'll have 50, 60 companies that will be working with young people in terms of the jobs that are open in our industry, what they're looking for. And you can actually apply to some of those companies um, right there at the convention. Um, the other nice thing is it's free, and you also get a free day pass to come to the convention, hear some of the education sessions, and actually get to network with some of the amazing scientists and the people that we've been talking about today. And uh, that's, as we said earlier, worldwide, uh, that we have uh, exactly. not just people who are local, but uh, companies from uh, from around the country and around the world. So what's what's in the future? I mean, uh, <clears throat> you know, Secretary Cons, we really haven't talked a whole lot about uh, Governor Wolf's budget, what he's proposing. Let's do that a little bit before we do talk about the future. What more investment is the state looking to do? Sure. So this is an exciting time for me. I've been in state government now. This is my 29th year. I, I know it's hard to believe. Um, it really is. I can tell people. You, I would have not have guessed that. I would have said that you started during the Rendell administration. That's it. And I knew there was a reason why I was going to like you today. Um, you know, the governor is focused, obviously, on jobs that pay, government that works, and schools that teach. And uh, it's a very very aggressive budget, but it's a budget, quite honestly, that I think Pennsylvania needs right now. Uh, the governor is very committed to this industry sector as well as other industry sectors. Um, you know, part of the governor's budget allows for a hundred million dollar technology and innovation effort um, as part of the economic uh, stimulus growth or economic growth bond. Pardon me. Um, you know, there's opportunity there for us to make very strategic investments in venture capital firms and our existing partner network, uh, the Ben Franklin Technology Partners, the Life Science Greenhouses, our partnerships for regional economic performance. There's so many opportunities before us right now, but the last several years, our budget has been cut significantly. And as the leading agency for economic development and opportunity across the Commonwealth, that's been hurtful. Um, so from our office perspective, uh, we just had our, our secretary, Dennis Davin, confirmed earlier in the week by the Senate. We're really excited to have him on, on board at DCD. He is, in fact, an economic development practitioner from Allegheny County. So he's been there and he's done that. And it's very similar to the governor. I mean, here's a businessman who understands some of the challenges that our businesses face. And so I'm very optimistic. I'm really excited about him being in office. Uh, it's been great. I've had the opportunity to see him on a number of occasions already uh, since he joined us in January, something I have, I've not been able to say that occurred in, in last administrations uh, where I've actually been in the same room with the Gov. So it's pretty cool from that perspective. But it's also very energizing and, um, and uplifting to see that we have a governor that's so focused on bringing Pennsylvania uh, back to the level that our our citizens deserve to be at. We only have about 45 seconds. I want to thank both of you for being with us today. But, uh, Fritz, the future of this industry. 
again, has been dubbed the biocentury. I think the amazing thing you're going to see in the next couple decades is transformational um, science being developed, which which will have a huge impact on diseases um, that right now there there are no cures. And our industry is really focused on cures. So that's what we're all about right now. Um, we want to find cures for, for disease. Um, and we're working on some of the toughest diseases out there. Um, you know, we've had a couple medicines recently that are cures. And, and you know, I think there's just a lot of tremendous hope um, in our industry um, uh, for patients around the world. Fritz Bittenbender from uh, the uh, Public Affairs, is a Vice President of Public Affairs at Biotechnology Industry, and Sherry Collins, Deputy Secretary of Office of Technology and Innovation at uh, Pennsylvania DCED. Thank you very much for being with us today. Thanks. Thanks, Scott. Coming up on tomorrow's program, State Senator uh, and uh, Senate Majority Leader Jake Corman. Smart Talk is produced by WITF as part of our mission to deliver relevant, high-quality programming. Support for this program comes from Capital Blue Cross, which shares WITF's commitment to being a valuable and trusted resource for the communities we serve. Capital Blue Cross, live fearless. Smart Talk is also supported by Pinnacle Health, conducting clinical trials that give local access to treatments that test a new medical device to close a hole in the heart for stroke patients. More information at pinnaclehealth.org.